my wonderful friend, welcome to Fate FM Drive Time Big Q&A. This is the program where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible, and where we look at the world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I am Nick Krita, South Australian uh, Regional Coordinator for Faith FM, and I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege to uh, have this broadcast, and I invite you to be part of it. You can send us some messages uh, today, uh, live, if you like. Uh, the number where you can text us is 0488-880-811. And thank you for the messages already, um, you know, coming through. You know, uh, we will answer some of them, even from previous program because during the live program is maybe difficult to answer on the spot but uh, we'll try to answer some of those questions i would like to introduce our uh, co-host uh, today and uh, good to have you with us david good afternoon nick hello listeners how are you nick very good david and uh, now um, you already uh, by now listeners you know uh, particularly those who are uh, our faithful listeners will know you. But you are uh, um, looking after the church here in South Australia. Uh, we call you the, the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in, in South Australia. And you are uh, having a, quite a big load, particularly with this situation, COVID. You are in meetings a lot, but you take time to come with us here. Yeah, and thank you so much for that. Yeah, Nick, I really love um, yeah digging into the Word of God and and getting on radio with you and other hosts and just sort of um, sharing with our listeners. That's wonderful. Now, David, uh, as I mentioned uh, a bit earlier, I really like our listeners to uh, be part of this program, to be interactive as much as we can. Uh, well, last night uh, with uh, Pastor Ernst uh, uh, Williams, we were approaching a, a very important topic, uh, uh, God's model of salvation. And we were talking about the sanctuary. In other words, you know, people may know about the, the temple, the tabernacle. We mentioned last night also that there is a movement uh, um, where in Jerusalem, right now, they want to rebuild the temple, uh, David. You may heard about that uh, institute of the rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, I have. And certainly um, quite a number of Christians believe that uh, the temple will, re- will be rebuilt. And do, do, you, do you see the reason why you, people will believe that in our days? I think perhaps it depends how you interpret Bible prophecy. And if you take things isolated rather than the big picture, you might end up with some views like that. But, Nick, it's really interesting that um, in uh, in the Gospels, uh, in Jesus' final week before his crucifixion, in Matthew 23, for example, uh, when Jesus walked away from the temple, he said to the religious leaders, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. There will not be one stone left upon another. And so this meant that um, with the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in AD 20, the purpose of the earthly temple would be fulfilled. The other thing I would suggest is the the, the tabernacle, if you like, or the temple, um, was a complete 3D model um, almost a virtual reality of the plan of salvation, mm-hmm. given 
given right there back in Sinai in the wilderness. And um, so when Jesus came and he died on the cross, we find that the earthly temple in Jerusalem, there was an earthquake, and we also know that the the curtain, which some scholars have suggested was very, very thick, a mm-hmm. very thick, heavy curtain, was ripped from top to bottom, dividing the two apartments, the two rooms of the temple. And uh, one of them was called the Most Holy Place, and that you could only go into once a year and only the high priest. So when that curtain ripped from top to bottom, uh, essentially... Um, it was meaning that there is no longer a dividing um, line between us and salvation. Jesus has fulfilled that. Um, and the earthly tabernacle, the whole fulfillment of those rituals and the sacrifices was fulfilled at the cross. Mm. It would be, be ludicrous to, to be still sacrificing lambs. Why? Because the Bible says in John one twenty nine that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When did he do that? He sacrificed. He was our perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Absolutely. And that's what I uh, mentioned earlier, that I wonder why people are uh, keen to rebuild that temple. I mean, are you going to reinstitute uh, all the sacrificial uh, and all those things? Because we were talking about the all the furniture, you know, in the temple and what yes. it represents. Now, um, our uh, main uh, theme, you know, uh, the theme for for this week actually is decoding Bible prophecy symbols. And in the tabernacle, in the temple, there were certain things there which represented something, which we need to dig deep to understand all those things. Today, we are going to talk, uh, David, more about what has uh, Christ been doing in heaven. But just before that, because... Um, we we haven't quite finished last night to say so, and this is part two of uh, of our uh, presentation about the temple. Uh, with Ernst, we talked about uh, you know all the furniture and what it represents there, but we couldn't quite get to the holy uh, most holy place. And you just mentioned a bit earlier there that this was separated, but by a very thick curtain. And as you said, uh, some scholars believe that would be somewhere around at least thirty centimeter. Thick. That's quite thick. Yeah, I'm not sure of the thickness, but certainly very heavy. Mm. And so, Nick, this is a whole plane of salvation. The whole theme of the sanctuary is uh, one that permeates Scripture. And, Nick, if people have missed yesterday's program, or in fact any program on Faith FM, where would they go to find it? You just need to visit our website, faithfm.com.au, or you can get the app on your phone, uh, Faith FM. Australia, download that app and you can go back, you know, and listen to some of the programs which you miss. You can listen on demand on other programs too. But that will be important actually to go and uh, hear uh, the previous program just to... uh, to put it together with uh, what we are going to talk uh, about. Yeah, last night was part A, today's part B, That's and right. tomorrow's part C. So, so Nick, the, the sanctuary is in, an understanding of the sanctuary gives us a very clear picture of the plan of salvation in its all its fullness and richness. It also shows us and helps us to avoid pitfalls. Mm-hmm. It gives us a complete view. And um, I want to suggest to you that uh, the psalmist in chapter 77, verse 13, the psalmist says, your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. And so if we want to know the way of God, then we need to study this concept of the sanctuary. And we know that um, in Hebrews um, 8, 1 and 2 and in Hebrews uh, 8, 5, we have a concept of an earthly sanctuary and a heavenly sanctuary. Mm. 
We know that in Exodus 25, Moses was commanded by God to build a sanctuary according to the pattern it says that God showed him. Correct. So God gave him a blueprint, if you like, for the plan of salvation, this this sanctuary, this this dwelling place of God, and Moses built it. Now, it's very interesting, Nick, that um, in that earthly sanctuary, there were three different sections of the sanctuary. And uh, as I said, it's often called tabernacle or sanctuary or temple. Three sections. The first one was a courtyard, and we mm-hmm. find this in the Old Testament uh, there in ancient Israel. It was uh, it had like um, fabric walls uh, with pillars that so, that uh, went the length of uh, and and the width. It was a rectangular shape. The courtyard. And there was only one entrance to the courtyard, and then it, inside that courtyard, at the far end, was a building. Mm-hmm. And that building, called the sanctuary, if you like, even though the courtyard was part of it, had two rooms, a bigger room and a smaller room. The bigger room was the first room and only one entrance called the holy place. Mm-hmm. And then you would move into this this curtain that divided them, and then you had the mo- most holy place. And it was a cube shape. Cube shape. And so, Nick, I just want to suggest to our people, this sanctuary uh, tabernacle is a 3D model of the plan of salvation. How so? Well, first of all, when you went into the courtyard, you had what was called the altar of burnt sacrifice. Right. And then you had something else called a laver. It was a place where the priests would wash themselves uh, with water. And there was only one entrance. And this is a picture of the plan of salvation. Um, the altar of burnt offering, that first piece of furniture in the courtyard when you entered, the first one you came to, the altar of birth, burnt offering represents Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross. Mm. And this courtyard, I want to suggest, represents Jesus' ministry on earth. Right. There are different phases to Jesus' ministry because the Bible talks about that we have a high priest, Jesus, who was ascended into the heavens. Now, a high priest, one of the high priest roles was to be an intercessor, a mediator, pleading for his people, working on their behalf. And so the courtyard of the Old Testament sanctuary represents Jesus' earthly ministry. Mm. And... um, The altar of burnt offering, his perfect sacrifice. So when someone comes to Jesus in a Christian experience, when they come to Jesus, there is only one way, one entrance to the courtyard, one entrance to the tabernacle, only one way to Jesus. He's the only way we can be saved. Mm. So only one entrance. And then when a person entered that entrance of the, the courtyard, there is the altar of burnt offering, the sacrifice. We come to the cross in our Christian experience. And when we accept Jesus and his perfect sacrifice for us, then the decision, we come to the laver, this place of washing where the priests would wash themselves, and it represents baptism. Mm-hmm. So only one way to salvation, only one entrance to the sanctuary, you come to the altar of burnt offering, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Once we accept the cross of Christ, we then come to the laver and have that baptism experience, and we're baptized. And then you come. So that that's the first, um, the courtyard is the first area of Jesus' ministry. You're right. Which occurred on earth. Yes. And we have his sacrifice and we have baptism. Mm-hmm. But then when you move into the holy place, that first petition or first room of the earthly sanctuary, you had, uh, when you went in on your right, a table of showbread, a table mm. of bread, 12, 12 pieces of bread, one representing each of the tw- tribes. And um, they... Um, that represents Jesus as the bread of life. Yes. 
And then on your left-hand side, when you entered that first apartment there, that first room, you had a seven-branch candlestick, the menorah, mm-hmm. and it was to always be kept burning. Now, Jesus said that he was the light of the world. Yes. And then as you continued into that first room, you had what was called uh, the altar of incense. And uh, essentially, incense would rise up from that, and, and often um, uh, blood would be placed near there from sacrifices, and that represent the prayers of the saints going up. And, and, and the incense would waft up and over that curtain that divided mm. the holy place, the first room from the second room, the most holy place. And that represents our prayers ascending to heaven. Uh, and, and Jesus there intercess, interceding. So that first apartment uh, of this building, this first room represents Jesus' work in heaven. In fact, that, that whole building, the two-part building, the two-room building, represents Jesus' ministry in heaven. Okay. The first part is a, uh, a work of intercession where he's, uh, he's working on our behalf in heaven. Mm-hmm. The second room, called the Most Holy Place, which we're going to unpack today, yes. had inside it what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And this was the most precious piece of furniture that God instructed Moses for, for his people to build. And in that was the law of God, the holy law, with uh, written by God's finger in stone, the Ten Commandments. There was also a little pot of manna. Uh, when God provided manna for 40 years in the wilderness. And that represented that God would provide for them. The Ten Commandments, God's holy character. Mm-hmm. And then there was Aaron's rod, that God can, uh, if you like, do something with nothing, a dead stick. It turned and deliverance, representing deliverance. deliverance. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. So that was God's holy law and, and the Ark of the Covenant. It had a lid. And that lid was called a mercy seat. And what made this second room so special, Nick, was the fact that it was closed off for 300-odd days a year, and only Mm. on one day a year could one person go in, and that was the high priest. Right. And they could only go in after they'd uh, gone through a cleansing process and after certain sacrifices had taken place. Mm. And the reason why this was such a somber and solemn place to go into is because God's holy presence, it was called the Shekinah glory, dwelt above this small gold-covered wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And above that little box, of which contained the commandments and Aaron's rod and the pot of manna, were two uh, angels molded from one piece of gold on top of this box. Mm -hmm. And that box, if you like, the Ark of the Covenant, is a symbol of of uh, God's dwelling place on earth, his, his Shekinah glory, this sort of cloud, if you like, dwelt above that most holy place. And that is where God chose to um, reside, his presence to be amongst his people through the Old Testament. We know that sin separates us from God. And sinners cannot stand in the presence of God because we would be consumed with his glory. And yet when Adam and Eve sinned and when every other human being has sinned since, we flee from God. We hide there is fear. God came looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, Nick. He came looking. He didn't come out and and um, uh, castigate them too strongly or anything. He first spoke to the serpent, which was um, used by Satan, if you like. It was really Satan. And um, he created then, or the plan of salvation was already in place, but it was enacted and God said, look, you know, before sin, he would meet with Adam and Eve probably on a regular basis mm. Mm. because they were perfect. Yes. After sin, they could not meet with him face to face. And so the sanctuary was a plan of salvation pointing forward to Jesus Christ on the cross. 
but also it was a place where God could be amongst his sinful people. Mm. He still wanted to be with them. Mm. He still loved them, and he wanted a place there. And so that was the most holy place. Now, you can imagine, that's where God's presence was. And it's almost, if you like, God's throne on earth. He has a throne in heaven. The Bible tells us there is a sanctuary or a temple in heaven yes. where he dwells, and this is a place on earth, and uh, or was a place on earth. And so if a priest or a person went into that most holy place where God's presence dwelt, the Shekinah glory, they would be struck dead unless they followed the the commands or guidelines, if you like, that God gave. And also the people in the, in the, in the whole Israel, they had to, uh, prepare themselves when the priest will, uh, enter into that most holy place. Absolutely. And that's, that's the last thing we want to touch on tonight. So there, just as there were three sections of this tabernacle, the courtyard, Jesus's ministry on earth, the first room called the holy place represents Jesus's ministry when he ascended into heaven. Mm-hmm. When he ascended into heaven, he began his work of intercession. His sacrifice was accepted by the Father and he began his intercession for us uh, in heaven. And that's why we don't have to do sacrifices anymore. Uh, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, but he was also our high priest. Right. And that's why we don't have to confess our sins to any other human being like an earthly priest. Mm -hmm. And that's why, Nick, I want to suggest this. That's why any uh, religion that says that we need to confess to an earthly priest is actually taking the place of God on earth. Why? Because we don't, we don't serve a dead Christ. Mm. We serve a living Christ. Jesus is alive. This is the great news. He died for our sin, but now he is alive in heaven. And Hebrews says we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter seven. We can go, we can approach him boldly, God boldly. Why? Because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, the book, book of Hebrews said. So we don't have to go through an earthly mediator and mm-hmm. we go direct to God. That's what Jesus began when he ascended into heaven. Um, after his resurrection, after the 40 days. That's when Pentecost occurred. But then that second room called the most holy place could only be accessed once a year, one day a year called the Day of Atonement. We'll talk about that. And that also is a symbol of a... Another phase of Jesus' ministry, three phases of ministry that the sanctuary represented. Courtyard, his ministry on earth. The building with the two rooms represents his ministry in heaven on our behalf. Mm -hmm. One is a work of intercession, which he began at his ascension. The other part is a work of judgment, and that's what occurred in the most holy place. And we'll begin to unpack that tonight. So, Nick, I just want to emphasize one more thing. I know you want to talk, and I know we need to move on. But I just want to suggest this to our listeners. The perfect sacrifice occurred at Calvary. Yes. The once and for all sacrifice. That's why we don't need a sanctuary on earth. No more shedding of blood of animals. Why? Because Jesus is the true sacrifice. Perfect sacrifice happened on earth. But I want to suggest to our listeners, don't get me wrong, the perfect sacrifice happened on earth. Only has to happen once. But the sacrifice was complete, but sin was not yet eradicated. We still live with sin, Mm -hmm. correct? Satan was defeated 
at the cross, but Satan is still exists in existence. Sin is still in existence. And so the plan of salvation, although the, the part of uh, his sacrifice is complete and perfect, the plan of salvation is still playing out. Why? All right. Because the sanctuary model shows us how Jesus deals with sin and sinners and salvation. And so Jesus is now interceding. This is another part of the plan of salvation in the heavenly sanctuary for us. And he is also, as we'll find out tonight and tomorrow, uh, has commenced a work of judgment, which is not something to fear, but something to look forward to. So just want to share that with you, Nick. That's wonderful, David. And that was very good to recap also uh, from what we talked uh, the other night. Uh, in First Timothy, actually, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Jesus Christ. That's what we are talking about here. That is not a need of uh, any other. Um, no, no human mediator. Uh, hu- human mediator, of course. There is one mediator that has power to save us from our sins, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. David, I'd like to just take a question um, or uh, two, which we have it from uh, from the other program. If we could just a little bit uh, uh, answer to that also. I'll, I'll remind, our, remind our listeners that they can be part of this program by just sending a text to the number 488 Double one. So, Nick, we, we probably can't deal with these questions with a great deal of justice, but let me just uh, suggest this. We had a question coming yesterday from uh, Stephen, and thank you, Stephen, for your question. The question was, which section of the sanctuary were Adam and Eve before they sinned? Great question. I want to suggest that um, the sanctuary was given because of sin. Mm. The sanctuary was to show the plan of salvation. Now, prior to sin, there was no sanctuary needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word tabernacle literally means dwelling place. And we discover in Re- Revelation 21, in those first four or five verses, after sin is eradicated, it says the dwelling place of God or the tabernacle will be with men. He will live with them. Why? Because sin is no longer. So prior to sin, Adam and Eve had um, face-to-face contact and access with God. So in one sense, they were living, they were, well, not in one sense, they were living in a perfect world with mm-hmm. no sin. It was only after sin was introduced that, I guess, a physical sanctuary existed. So they lived prior to that sanctuary. Okay. Well, that's interesting because we also, while we talked about this last night, we were thinking that uh, they could be probably, because living on earth, the, uh, you know, we, you mentioned that the courtyard yes. was uh, symbolizing and uh, representing uh, um, the ministry uh, of God on earth. Yes. Now, of course, before sin, they were still on earth, even though in the Garden of uh, Eden, uh, but they were still on this earth. Um, very good question from um, from Stephen. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for that. There is another question from uh, uh, Michael, I believe. Yeah, look, uh, we have uh, two questions here. Um, one of them is uh, Christ dealt with the problem of sin. So now the tabernacle of God is with men. Wouldn't a rebuilt temple insult Yahweh who provided the ram in the thicket on the cross? So yes, I believe if a temple was rebuilt on earth, as people, some people would like some Christians, they misinterpret a prophecy in Daniel 9. If that was rebuilt and if sacrifices were reinstituted, as some suggest, that is making a, a mockery, if you like, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So 
there is no longer a temple on earth. That was destroyed. Instead, the focus of the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, it talks about a sanctuary in heaven. The focus of the New Testament is the sanctuary that's actually in heaven. Revelation 11 talks about it, that John, the apostle, saw the sanctuary in heaven. Revelation 15, just before the seven last plagues, talks about a sanctuary in heaven. But then in Revelation 21, when sin is done away with, we find that that sanctuary, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, comes down down to live with people. So sin, though, uh, the question was Christ dealt with the problem of sin. So now the tabernacle of God is with men. Mm -hmm. He defeated the author of sin on the cross. Satan, Jesus became victor at the cross, Mm -hmm. but Satan has not yet had his sentence, if you like. Right. And Satan and death and sin, we are told in Revelation, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it is the last death is the last enemy to be defeated. Mm. Death is a result of sin. Death still occurs. So Jesus had the victory on the cross. We have our salvation assured because he won. But we are still living with the impacts of sin because sin is still occurring. But there is a day coming when that will all be done away with. Oh, that's great. Thank you, David, for that. Uh, we are going to take a short break here, but please stay with us because after the break, we are going to talk about what does Jesus do as a high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. Also have uh, that number uh, ready uh, because uh, I will give our free, uh, we'll have our free offer uh, for today and actually for this week. The number again, it's 488 Double one. We are going to listen to a beautiful song called Someone is Praying for You.
But it seems that you've prayed Till your strength is all gone And your tears fall like raindrops All the day long He cares and He knows just how much You can bear He'll speak your name You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Nick Rita and our co-host today is Pastor David Butcher. Just as I mentioned a bit um, earlier, I have this great uh, book uh, to give away today, Amazing Prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. You can have this book in your hands free of charge, no obligation. You just need to write a text to us with the code SA10. SA stands for South Australia, number 10, and please send that um, text and we'll organize to have this book in your hands. Uh, David, uh, just uh, before the break, we, you know, um, recap quickly, you know, um, how the earthly sanctuary uh, and the function of the sanctuary there. But I would like you to take us through now in the time we have left. What has Christ been doing in heaven? Yeah, look, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Now, people can look that up. I'm not going to read it. We don't have time. But it tells us that Jesus has passed into heaven on our behalf and he's our high priest. That's Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that um, God is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. That's Jesus. Why? Because it says there, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus, our high priest, just like the high priest that worked in the earthly sanctuary, but Jesus is holy and perfect, is now ministering, just like the earthly high priest ministered, Jesus is ministering on our behalf in the heavenly heavenly sanctuary 
in a work of intercession, mediating, being there to support us and help us. And um, we're, we're going to understand a little bit today and tomorrow what this whole earthly sanctuary and the heavenly sanctuary have to do and what is it all about judgment. So the key role of Jesus as our high priest is to bring us the benefit of his perfect sacrifice, salvation from sin. And Jesus is the link between human frailty and divine immortality. He's mm. the complete link. And um, essentially, it's about us having a connection with Jesus Christ. But Nick, if we go back to um, Daniel chapter 7, and uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, and I'm not sure if you have that handy, if you do, uh, maybe I'll read it, I've got it open. So Daniel 7, verses 25 and 26, and this is the prophecy that we looked at the other week. It's a prophecy of four beasts, they're symbols, sim- symbolic, mm-hmm. Uh, and the fourth beast, which is a sort of a monster type beast, comes up out of the water, um, which represents a populous place. Uh, it follows the previous three beasts, which represent the, the empires that had uh, persecuted God's people of Babylon, yes. Medo Persia, Greece. And this first beast, the fourth beast, represents the, the pagan empire of Rome. Mm. And we have a repetition of this uh, in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Daniel 2, Daniel sees a, Nebuchadnezzar sees an image of a statue made of different metals representing the empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Mm. Daniel 7, you have four animals that represent the same kingdoms. But in Daniel 7, you have this fourth beast representing pagan Rome, and out of its he- on its head are ten horns. Mm-hmm. And those ten horns in Daniel 7 represent ten powers that come up in Western Europe at the fall of the uh, Roman Empire. And essentially, it, it, it began to crumble in 476 or, or did fall in 476 AD or began to fall. And that is also a comparison of the ten toes of the statue in Daniel 2. They represent what we would now call much of the powers of modern Western Europe. So in Daniel 7, you have these uh, ten horns, but then it tells us that there was this little horn that came up after the others were already in place. And this little horn uh, spoke blasphemous things. It had the eyes and the eyes of a man. It had a man in its head. A- and this represents the medieval church through the dark Middle Ages, mm. the papacy. Mm. And uh, this uh, little horn would speak pompous things. It would persecute God's people for a period of time, which we'll look at, and it would cast the truth of God to the ground. And anyone that knows biblical history and history itself would know that Christians were persecuted for a period of 1260 years just for simply having uh, different beliefs to the Church of Rome, but also even possessing copies of the Scriptures mm. or portions of the Scriptures. Right. They were put to death, millions of people. But in Daniel seven twenty-five and 26, it says of this little horn power, which most scholars up until not that long ago, including the founders of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther and many others, believed that this little horn power was none other than the papacy, the Roman Catholic system, if Mm -hmm. you like. And this is not to say that Roman Catholics are not good people or will not be in heaven. I'm sure that millions of them will be, but it's a false system. So in, in Daniel 7, verse 25 and 26, talking of this medieval power, it says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend or think to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. This is, this is a period of time, a time, 
and a time represents a year. And a Jewish year then rep- was 360 days. So a time is one year. It says a time times, that's two years. Two years. So you've got one year, then you've got another two. two. And then it says and half a time. That's half a year. So if you add 360 once, 360 you multiply that twice, that's three lots of 360, then add half of 360, that gives you a period of three and a half years, mm. 1,260 days. And we will explain that as we go, Nick. So it says there that the saints would be given into this power's hand for a time, times, and half a time. But then it says, but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion. So there is a judgment scene, and this this power, the papacy, is judged. Mm. It loses its power. They shall take away his dominion, verse 26 of Daniel 7, to consume and destroy it forever. And then verse 27 says, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. So I want to suggest, Nick, in Daniel 2, you have a judgment scene when this stone crashes into the feet of the image. It represents God's kingdom, which is set up, and judgment on the world. In Daniel 7, we find three times uh, a sequence of judgment. We have um, this little horn beast, this medieval power, persecuting God's pe- people for a period of 1260 days, which I want to suggest and we'll talk about is not three and a half literal years, mm. but actually represents 1260 years. All right, because one day well, for one year, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and we discover that, Nick, in Ezekiel chapter 4. In Ezekiel chapter 4, God got Ezekiel to um, make a live model, if you like, of what would happen to Jerusalem. They would be besieged. And um, this is what God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 4 verse 4. Lie also on your left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it, according to the number of the days that you lie on it. You shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity according to the number of the days, 390 days. So Ezekiel had to lie on his left side Mm -hmm. to demonstrate the sins of God's people. He had to lay on his left side for 390 days. And God here is saying that each day, each one of those 390 days represents a year. So Ezekiel lays on one side 390 days. That represents 390 years. And it's interesting that in Daniel chapter 8, we see Daniel having a vision. And uh, part of this vision involves a prophecy found in Daniel 8. And I'll read that. Daniel chapter 8. And I know we're moving quickly, but I'd really encourage our listeners to download the Faith FM app and, and listen to the programs this week again. Daniel chapter 8. And again, it talks, it repeats, Nick, this little horn power. It actually names in chapter 8 who the previous powers were before pagan Rome. It names uh, Medo-Persia and Greece. Yes. But in Daniel chapter 8, um, we, the focus of Daniel, the thing that he was struggling with, was this little horn power. In verse 9, it says it grew exceedingly great. 
And it says there in verse 10, it grew up to the host of heaven and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. This is Jesus. Mm. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And then it says that um, in verse 12, that he cast truth to the ground. Uh, and it says in verse 13, I heard a holy one. This is an angel speaking. And another holy one said to the certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be? This is the whole vision of Daniel 8. Yes. How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, this is an angel speaking to Daniel, for 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now, well, the first, that's very precise. Yeah, absolutely. 2,300 days, then the sanctuary would be cleansed. Now, as we've said, that um, the book of Daniel uh, deals with lots of symbols and lots of earthly powers. Now, Daniel 7, you've got a lion with wings. You've got um, a, a leopard-like uh, animal with four heads and four wings. These aren't literal things. They're symbols to represent something else. Correct. The lion represents Babylon. The leopard-like beast represents the power of Greece. And so we have here uh, 2,300 days. They don't represent literal days mm. um, because this whole prophecy of Daniel couldn't have been fulfilled in 2,300 days. Mm. Or even half of that period it couldn't have been fulfilled in. They represent literal years, as we looked at in Ezekiel chapter 4, but also Numbers 14 shows us that when we're looking at Bible prophecy, um, essentially what we are dealing with is um, a day for a year. Yeah. Yeah, and we dealt with uh, some of these aspects in previous programs. And again, our listeners can uh, go back and and check some of those programs. So in Bible prophecy, what we find is one prophetic day, the 2,300 days, represents 2,300 literal years. Now, we talked about, uh, Nick, in Daniel 7.25, this uh, reference to a time and times and half a time. And this represents three and a half years or 1260 days. But it's a prophetic time. The 1260 days represent 1260 years. And this period of time is again mentioned in Daniel 12 verse 7. Uh, it's also expressed differently as 42 months in Revelation 11 2. And Revelation 13 5, it's represented as 42 months. In Revelation 11, verse 3 and 12, verse 6, it's represented as 1,260 days. But all of these time periods, 42 months, 1,260 days, a time, times and half a time, equal 1,260 days, or one prophetic day represents a literal year, 1,260 years. And what would mm. be happening here? Daniel 7 said that God's people would be persecuted for a time, times and half a time. So the medieval church, Nick, um, essentially the papacy uh, fully received power in 538 when the last one of the Aryan kingdoms, mm -hmm. the, the Germanic tribe kingdoms, was uprooted and, and destroyed done away with and then the pope was made head of all the churches in rome Correct. in actuality and so from 538 ad if you add 1260 years it takes you to 1798 very important and in date. 1798 mm. we find that uh, napoleon's general balasirius uh, marches into rome and um, he takes 
Pope Pius VI captive and takes him into exile. Can you imagine the uproar that would cause today? Mm. But he was taken into exile and he died in exile. And the Bible talks about this in Revelation 13. It talks about a deadly wound being given. Mm -hmm. And then what we find after this time, times and half a time, after the 1260 years or days, in Daniel 7 it tells us there is a judgment Right. And the judgment is made in favor of the saints. And in Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, verse 14 says, And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. I want to suggest to our listeners that this 2,300 days and the cleansing of the sanctuary, um, this is when the earthly sanctuary is destroyed. The cleansing mm. of the sanctuary is actually a judgment process. It's a judgment process that will take place. And um, so Daniel, when he heard this prophecy, these 2,300 days, he was sick. He didn't understand it. But in Daniel chapter 9, which is a continuation, there are no chapter divisions in the Bible yes. when it was originated. Uh, the angel Gabriel in Daniel chapter 9 comes to Daniel. Daniel is praying for his people and the sins of his people at the start of chapter 9 because he doesn't understand uh, God's purple being persecuted and all this trouble and there would be 2,300 days before the sanctuary would be cleansed. And, and Daniel is concerned. He doesn't understand. And he Dan was troubled, yes. He was troubled. Mm. Daniel chapter 9, God sends the angel Gabriel and in verse 22 it says, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand, therefore understand and consider the matter and understand the vision. He said 70 weeks, this is Gabriel to Daniel 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city mm. now 70 times 7 equals 490 Yes, we're talking prophetic days equaling literal years. Yes. And uh, this 70 weeks that are determined for Daniel's people represent a period of 490 years now we don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but um, we know the starting date for this 2,300-year prophecy began in, we find the location for its beginning in Ezra chapter 7. And in Ezra chapter 7, the Persian king Artaxerxes gives a decree in his seventh year. We know that his seventh year through a number of different sources, uh, began, the seventh year of his reign began in 457 BC. If you add 2,300 literal years onto 457 BC, knowing that there is no zero mm. year, 2,300 literal years added onto 457 BC takes us right through to a time period where Daniel 8.14 says the sanctuary would be cleansed. And when was that? The 2,300 years beginning in 457 BC take us all the way through until 1844. Right. Now, the prophecy of the 70 weeks I think has already been dealt with or will be dealt with again. But uh, the 2,300 years beginning in 457 BC takes us through to 1844 when Daniel is told that the sanctuary would be cleansed. And so this sanctuary, Nick, what, what is the sanctuary? What is the cleansing? It's a work of judgment. And I want to suggest to you that um, we get an insight into what this cleansing was by looking at the Old Testament sanctuary. And in Leviticus 23.7, we are told there by, by God through Moses, also the tenth day of this seventh month, 
So the tenth day of the Jewish seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation, a holy gathering, if you like, for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the uh, Day of Atonement was the most solemn day on the Jewish calendar. It was mm. one of the most important days. And it says it is. it will be a Day of Atonement. Now, the word atonement literally means, uh, when it uh, came into the English language, at-one-ment. Mm. that relationships would be restored. And so on this day of atonement, the 10th day of the 7th Hebrew month, it would be a restoration of relationships, if you like. And so what actually happened on that day of atonement? Well, what actually happened... Leviticus 16.30 says, For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now, Daniel 8.14 says 2,300 days or 2,300 years, if you like, this sanctuary would be cleansed. The sanctuary in 1844, there was no earthly sanctuary. We are talking of a heavenly sanctuary. Yes. And in Leviticus 16.30, on this day of atonement, this day of cleansing uh, would take place. It was a work of judgment. It was a solemn day. And let me tell you, Nick, what occurred on this day. Animal sacrifices in that Old Testament sanctuary occurred every day, morning and evening. Mm -hmm. But on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into that most holy place, that innermost room. Yes. Every other day, he would. Um, the sacrifices would happen out at the altar of burnt offering in the courtyard, and the priest would bring blood. Because we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The high, the high priest would take blood into the sanctuary yes, and often put it on the, the altar of incense, amongst other places. And it was almost, if you like, a transfer of sin, symbolic transfer of sin from the sinner. Mm -hmm. It would be transferred to a substitute animal, like a lamb. Who represents, uh, represents Jesus? Jesus, our yes. substitute. Mm -hmm. It would be this perfect, innocent lamb would be killed for our, for that person's sin, just like Jesus died for our sin. Uh, Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. That that blood, if you like, would be transferred into the sanctuary for three hundred and fifty nine days of the year, uh, and the sin, if you like, is transferred by the blood into the sanctuary. But on the day of atonement, that one day of the year, the sanctuary would be cleansed. How would it be cleansed? The high priest would go into the holy place now he would go into the holy place and there would be offerings but he would have to cleanse himself first wash himself sacrifices would have to be made on his behalf and um, he would then select two goats and one of these goats was considered to be the lord's goat Lots were cast, and one would be called the goat of Azazel, or often called the scapegoat. And it represented Satan. The Lord's goat was sacrificed, and its blood would be taken in to what is called the most holy place and placed on the um, mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Right. That was the Lord's goat that was sacrificed. Then the priest would back out of that most holy place, would walk backwards out of there after um, putting blood on the, the Ark of the Covenant, and the putting of the blood on the Ark of the Covenant cleansed the whole sanctuary from sin. Mm -hmm. And the priest would back out and he would come out of the sanctuary. Then he would take that second goat, and you'll read about this in Exodus, uh, sorry, Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23. Um, it's called uh, Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and he would back out and 
he would take the scapegoat or, or Azazel, mm-hmm. Satan's goat, if you like, and he would symbolically transfer the responsibility for all the sin that had built up in the year on that goat. That goat would be taken out into the wilderness by a strong man and left to die. Right. Now, that goat was not sacrificed. Satan's goat was not sacrificed. Why? Because Jesus is our sacrifice. The Lord's goat was sacrificed. It was the blood of the Lord's goat that was taken into the most holy place. But then when the high priest came out after cleansing the sanctuary, um, what would happen is the responsibility for sin would be placed upon Azazel or the scapegoat representing Satan. Now, mm. what was happening on this most solemn day? It suggested that the priest, the high priest, would have a rope placed around his ankle and bells on his gown so that if he got struck dead by going into the presence of God, if you like, where God was, he could be pulled out without anyone else going in there. While he was in there, the people were fasting, they were um thinking about their life, and they were confessing any unconfessed sins. In fact, Nick, actually what actually took place here on the Day of Atonement, um, it was the 10th day of the seventh month, but on the first day of the seventh month, there was the Feast of Trumpets. Mm. And there was nine days between that and the Day of Atonement. Altogether, 10 days, including the Day of Atonement, on the 10th day of the seventh month. Preparation uh, days. That were preparation days, mm-hmm. confessing sin. And then on the Day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and everyone would be confessing solemnness. Mm. At the end of that day, Day of Atonement, the sanctuary would be cleansed. People's sins they'd confessed, they were cleansed from sin. Interestingly, Nick, this is now the 10th day of the Jewish first month of the Jewish civil year. So at the start of the year, you have the cleansing of sin. People at slates are wiped clean. They now can celebrate that year and begin that year knowing that their sins have been Mm. dealt with. Mm. And so what we have, uh, this is a work of judgment that is going on in the most holy place on the one day of the year. So in 1844, at the end of the 2,300 years, Jesus, who is in heaven, the sanctuary in heaven, is not only interceding for us, but he is beginning a work of judgment. Now, judgment was made against in Daniel 7, this little horn power, Mm. and it was made in favor of the saints. But this work of judgment, we're also told, and we'll find out tomorrow, also begins at the house of God. And this is good news for listeners. So in 1844, Jesus began the next phase of his ministry, a work of judgment. That was quite a marathon, uh, David, uh, and I believe this is uh, very important for us all. I know uh, there are lots of uh, information there, and there are some questions coming up. We may be able to answer one question uh, tonight, David. We've been asked this, uh, didn't God's people suffer persecution under Vespasian or and, and Titus, yeah. And, Titus. and look, Titus was the actual one. If you go to Rome today, and I've been there, they've got the an arch there outside the Colosseum, the Titus arch there, which which actually depicts the destruction of Jerusalem and the carrying away of the, the Ark of the Covenant and other things, the menorah. Mm-hmm. So God's people have always been persecuted. You read the book of Acts, they were persecuted. You look at the, the pe- period of Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, they were persecuted. They were persecuted heavily. But if you look at the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church 
in league with secular governments, was responsible for the death of millions and millions and millions mm. of uh, innocent Christians. And in those three and a half literal years, could not cover the whole uh, aspect which we uh, looked into the prophecy, you know, the 2,300 uh, years. Uh, that's what it's important to understand because you can easily uh, pull out and apply for a certain time something in the Bible, but you need to look into the bigger context Absolutely. of the prophecy. Daniel, Daniel points out, and it's in Revelation five times, uh, you come across time, times, and half a time, 1260 days or 42 months. This is a specific period of persecution of God's people. So, Nick, I want to leave our listeners with... Um, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have Jesus ministering on our behalf. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's alive in heaven. He's ministering and interceding on our behalf in heaven. And he is also undertaking a work of judgment. That's uh, great, uh, David. And uh, I know this was a very heavy subject. Can we just have 30 seconds prayer? (laughs) Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that we do not serve a dead saviour. We serve a living, risen Jesus Christ, who is both, uh, who was both our sacrifice and is now our high priest in heaven. Because he has lived as the God man, he knows what uh, temptations we have. He knows what it's like, and we can come to him boldly. Lord, we want to thank you for the judgment. It is good news, and tomorrow we'll discover why it's good news. I pray for our listeners, Lord, that they will have certainty as they begin to understand uh, the depth of Bible prophecy. So bless them, Lord, and thank Mm. you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen, and thank you for joining uh, Nick Rita and David butcher today please come back tomorrow when fabiano and helen they are going to deal with the beautiful um, uh, aspect of what is christ doing right now but until then may god richly bless you change my heart be like